Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. On our 150th episode, we'd like to take a moment to show appreciation to our listeners. We're grateful to continue to bring you today's top directors, sharing behind-the-scenes stories of their latest films and insights into the craft of directing. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, so you can catch the next 150 episodes. You certainly won't want to miss our next few episodes, featuring discussions with John Chu on Crazy Rich Asians, Eugene Jarecki on The King, and Rob Reiner on Shock and Awe. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Spike Lee's new drama, Black Klansman. Set in the early 1970s amid the ongoing struggle for civil rights, the film tells the true story of Ron Stallworth, the first African-American detective on the Colorado Springs Police Department. Ron's arrival is greeted with skepticism and open hostility by the department's rank and file, but he soon makes a name for himself with a dangerous undercover mission to infiltrate and expose the Ku Klux Klan. With the help of his colleague Flip Zimmerman, who poses as Ron in face-to-face meetings with members of the hate group, they gain insider's knowledge of a deadly plot. In addition to Black Klansmen, Mr. Lee's many directorial credits also include the feature films She's Gotta Have It, Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, 25th Hour, Inside Man, and Chirac, and the documentaries If God is Willing and a Creek Don't Rise, When the Levees Broke, A Requiem in Four Acts, and A Huey P. Newton Story. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Lee spoke with director John Singleton about filming Black Klansmen. During their discussion, Mr. Lee talks about envisioning the film's powerful and relevant ending, why it wasn't a coincidence that he included references to The Birth of a Nation and Gone with the Wind, and why he immediately thought of John David Washington for Ron Stallworth. Thank you, thank you. (laughs) Nice t-shirt. All right, here we go. Here we go. Congratulations. Thank you. Grand Prix. The Grand Prix. Ducan. Ducans. You know. Lots of accolades. I mean, you're shaking up the country as par usual, cover of time. Come on, give it up, give it up. Um, I saw the movie last week, and what's interesting, I kept, well, after I came out of it, I was like thinking about several different things and stuff, and there's that, that um, I mean, it's funny, I'm, I'm gonna ask you these questions, I and mean, some of the questions, but, I'm asking questions if I like I don't know you. Why 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 a comedy? Why why so a, much humor in this picture? It's not a comedy. Okay, <laughs> but why is that? Did you go all laugh at, through this movie? So well, you, you, so you, you say that laugh? I mean, I'm not no no I'm not. Just laughed and do the right thing. It's not a comedy. It's laughed in not the strange love. There's there's laughter in 
and ace in the hole is laughed in the network, but they're not comedies. It's, it's, it's not a new phenomenon to have humor, mm-hmm. very serious subject matter. Those are my favorite filmmakers. Kubrick, Billy Wilder, I mean, Ace in the Hole, Starlock 17, A Met with Network. I mean, you can't have done it before. I mean, there's a lot of you and Malcolm X, too, especially during the, the, the uh, Detroit Red period of his, of his uh, as, as he's evolving. So it's been done before. It's hard to do. Because you have to get the right balance. But before that, I would just like to say that the murder of Heather Hyatt took place a year ago today. A year ago today, Susan Bro lost her daughter to homegrown apple pie, red, white, and blue act of terrorism. So, when you go home, give a prayer for Miss Bro, who lost her daughter today, one year ago. You know, and, and, and I like to say also, if people were laughing, and now look, I knew there's laughter. I knew there was my co writer, Kevin Wilmot, and I, we wanted there to be humor in the film. But no one's laughing when that car, which is a murder weapon, is going down that street. No one's laughing. No one's laughing when those, when those photos come up of Heather Hire. No one's laughing when the, the, the red, white, and blue American flag upside down goes to black and white. And... Uh, I have a lot of friends all over the country who've gone to the to see the film this open weekend. Everybody unanimously says that at the end of the film, you can hear a pin drop. So, it's, yeah, you could laugh, but at the end of the movie, when you walk out of here, you're not thinking about the humorous things in the film. You're thinking about I, you know, what you just saw. Which, and then those statements by David Duke and Agent Orange, you know, they can't say that's fake. I not take that. I not take that footage to my friend George Lucas of Industrial Light Magic, and and, no, no, that's real. And for me, it was a pivotal moment. I'm not a historian, but I think many historians will in the future look back on that moment and say it's a pivotal moment in American history where the President of the United States has opportunity to denounce hate, hate groups, and he didn't do it. And he might have walked it back what he said three or four days later, but with this guy in office, whatever he says first, that's what's, that's what's, that's what's in his heart. <laughs> Don't go for the okey-doke by the retraction two days later. Nah, my is what you said the first time. And to this day, he has not denounced 
those hikus because he feels that that's part of his base. And, it's, and it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that these hate groups have come out under rocks and from, from the dark into light because they know they got a friend in the White House who has their back. Um. <laughs> we and go way back. I'm just giving him assist. I gave him an assist. He <laughs> takes the ball. He that, like that Kobe. Was magic to Jabbar like right there. Yeah, yeah, no, no. He yeah. like Kobe. It don't matter. It's serious for you to have. It's for you to talk. We go um, way, way, way back. So, so. what are you, what are you gonna do when uh when uh when Agent Orange sees this movie? Who? Agent Orange and sees this movie and starts tweeting about it. <laughs> he, I mean, I because you know he will see the movie. I mean, in Cannes, my press conference, I call him mother fifteen times. So. But I think he likes that. I think he. I think he likes to be flagellated. I think he likes to be abused. I think that you know. Well, here's the thing. I mean, if <laughs> he's that kind of dude, I'd be surprised if if oh, David Duke. Oh, David Duke. David Duke saw it this weekend. Believe me. Yeah. No, he won. He he was. He, he, he called. He, he called. He up, called up. He, he called uh, up Ron, Ron right? Stallworth. But that was the board movie came out. And he said he was encouraging you know his his people to see the film. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So, but, so he caught him before the movie came out. The, right. But he hasn't, no one's known that David Duke has seen the movie. Not yet. But he's going to see it. I mean, yeah, he, he, he had read Ron's book. Yeah. He said he saw Malcolm X. He told Ron that? Yeah. He said he liked it too. <laughs> and he said that him and Malcolm wanted the same thing. I said, you know what? You only, want, you only must watch the first hour. <laughs> it's three hours. You know, Malcolm evolved. But we live in a crazy world today. It's, it's insane. It's truly insane. Um, uh, I was going to ask you a question. I'm only asking you this because we have an assembled audience here, and I'm, I'm, I'm ch- channeling questions that people would want to ask you and that probably wouldn't want to ask you. But, you know... But it, it's not me; it's everyone else. Why? Because you know, hey, we 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 real. But why? Uh, why do you have so much racism in all, in mostly in movies? Why do you deal with these different subjects? What 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 draws you to them? I mean, well, I don't think it's most because if you go to IMDb. Okay, I'm not saying. No, most. let me finish. Let I'm me asking finish. the question like I ain't me. I'm I know. A, I'm, I'm a, not. Know. I'm not looking why at you, you. Why you do all the? <laughs> I know it's not coming from you. Okay. So let me emphasize that. I mean, it's like almost like racism in movies is Spike Lee. Like, well, here's like, the thing, though. People like to put labels on you. Uh, uh, last Wednesday night was a, the 32nd anniversary. She's got to have it. So, Woo! So that's, I'm in my fourth decade. And not every film... You know, the main story is about racism, but people try to put you in a, you know, lump you together. So they say, do the right thing, Malcolm X, and, and now this will join that. But that's, I mean, I've told many, many different stories. And so, but I, I don't run away from uh, this, the, 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 the history of this country. And on top of that, 
the racism that we have in this country has been perpetuated by 50 plus years of television, 100 plus years of cinema. It is not a, it's not a coincidence that Birth of a Nation and Gone with the Wind are in this film. If we, they got Barnes and Noble here in LA. If we go to Barnes and Noble now as a group, <laughs> they have a DVD section and on the wall, they have AFI's 100 Greatest Films. Birth of a Nation and God with the Winner are on, you know, I forgot what number they are. But those films are personal to me. In, in third or fourth grade, in Brooklyn, New York, we had a class trip. They had just released reissued Birth of a Nation, so our teacher thought it was a good idea to take the whole class. Mixed school, with the black kids, we were not happy. We felt very uncomfortable during the screening, during the, the, the trip, and Butterfly McQueen, you know, I don't know my bird, no babies, and had to McDaniel, and our teacher did not spend the time that to give us context to that. And years later, I understand, you know, why Butterfly and Hattie McDaniel, they had, to, they had to work. Her famous quote is, I read Hattie McDaniel's famous quote is, I'd rather play a maid than be a maid. She won the Oscar for Best Sport Actor, but wasn't even allowed to come to the ceremony. Did you know that? She wasn't even allowed. And for Birth of a Nation, that was that film was shown my first year, first semester, and when you graduate film school. And again, we were taught that D. W. Griffin Skidder considered the father of cinema and all these innovations came up, which is not a lie, but there was no social political context about the film. We were we just it was just really all the talk about the technical side of filmmaking. We were not taught that that this film, at the time it came out, the Klan was dormant, it was dead, and this film led to the rebirth of the Klan, which led directly to black people being murdered, castrated, lynched, whatever you want to call it. That was left out. That was completely left out. And something I did not think about, A.O. Scott, New York Times, critic wrote a very good review of, of uh, Black Clowns. I thank him. And he, he pointed out something I forgot. One of the things that, that Dido Griffin came up with was cross-cutting. Simultaneous action, yeah. And one of the best scenes in the film was we cross-cut between yeah. wow. my man, the great freedom fighter, Harry Belafonte. Give it up for Harry. And what he's recounting, that's a true story. That's a lynch of Jesse Washington, which took place in Waco, Texas. So we intercut between that, his character speaking before the, the black students there, and then the initiation. So thank you, D.W. for D.W. for, uh, I'm not even, I'm not, I forgot about it. He came up with that. 
Am I supposed to say something now? <laughs> nah, nah, nah. You know, um, I um, I teach that that movie in my class too, and it's the first movie I show in the beginning of the semester, and I, I describe it as a sci-fi movie, Birth of a Nation, because uh, I always feel sci-fi movies to really work have to speak to the fears of a public at the time, and so what he tapped into, from my perspective, is he tapped into the latency. In, you know the racism at the time. You know racism of certain people being feared. He he predicted predicted um, he uh, he portrayed black people as running Congress and you know and they you know and all the different things and and, and, um, and raping the white women and subjugating the the South and he recreated reconstruction. He re redid reconstruction. And um, what's interesting about that picture for those of you who haven't seen it. You should see Birth of a Nation. It, it sets up American cinema for the, like, the next hundred years. It, it sets up the Western. I mean, you know, the Klan rides in like the Cowboys, and they save the day. And, you know, we know all the, most of the early Westerns, you know, how they depicted the American Indians. So, um, and it, it's, it's really brilliant that you were able to use it in this picture in such a way that that film cuz uh, that film that there are certain groups that actually do watch that film still you know and they lionize the clan they clan they they lionize them i mean they they they're the heroes of that film well i've never been one i've never been an individual that says that stuff should not be shown but exactly. i think that uh we have to get some context you know i think anybody these people said that a Huckleberry Finn is not being a library is crazy. That's one of the greatest American novels ever. And just because of the N word, you know, there was beef about uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. But you have to give it some, some context. My first film I did at NYU was called The Answer. It was a short black and white film about a young. African American writer director who's hired by a big by a big studio to re to do a remake of Birth of a Nation, and like the character of Pierre Delacroix and Bamboozled, he's very naive and thinks that he can uh, make it better. Make it better. I mean, not make it better. I mean, we'll just tell his own tell his own version of it. His own version of it. So. This thing called cinema is is very powerful, and I've always, even if I want to be a filmmaker, I knew the the effect it could have just by. And then when Superfly came out, everybody wanted to look like Ronald Neal and be a pimp and coke dealer, or when when Bruce Lee was in his heyday, and we go see Five Things of Death or one of his films on Forty Second Street, and everybody would come out of the theater and. 5,000 kids and run up and down throwing kicks and knocking themselves out with nunchuck because they didn't even know how to use it. I've been always aware of the, of the power of culture. And it's always been my belief that the reason why the United States has been able to be the world power it has been is not because we have more nuclear arms in mouth, but it was because of culture, the expert of culture. It was 
It was Levi's. It was Coke. It was Nike. It was R&B. It was the blues. It was rock and roll. It was rap. That's how. Obama's not influenced. Obama's not going to make a kid in Japan spin on his head. Culture does that. And depending upon how it's used, it could be detrimental. For me, one of the the biggest, most hateful things that Hollywood's done has been the depiction of Native Americans. I've never been a John Wayne, John, them. I know I'm in a John Wayne, John Ford, them. I'm sorry. Their depictions of Native Americans as subhumans it is you can't even measure I feel the the damage that's been done and at the same time let's not forget this country United States of America was built upon the genocide of the Native Americans and slavery that's a fact it's not for dispute the foundation, the very fabric of this country is genocide who were buried alive on concentration camps in this, on this country and slavery. And media, film, half of that, you know, TV has, has done to perpetuate not just Native Americans, I mean, hateful images of of African-Americans, people of color, women, gays, about dehumanize, been used to to dehumanize people. It's a great art form, but it has an ugly history. And that's the reason why I needed Birth of a Nation and Gallant the Win in it. The film opens with what is considered one of the greatest shots in history of cinema. That crane shot is a that shot is a, is a motherfucker. It is. I can you can't hate on that. But that's the shot. But the overall effect of the film, and then the way for me, the way that film that shot ends with the tattered Confederate flag. These people still trying to fight the the Civil War. You lost, Bobby. And you go back to Charlottesville, Friday night, where were they? The Robert E. Lee statue is still there. That is still up there in Charlottesville. Many other places, New Orleans, they took those things down. Down. So this, this film... You know, all these things I feel, you know, I'm not trying to tell you what to think. But I, again, I have to give out the, let's give a, sh- a shout out to Jordan Peele. Yeah. It was his project for him to direct, do whatever he want to do with it. He, not, he didn't have to call me. Jordan Peele did not have to call me, but he did, and, you know, we're able to uh, 
we feel hopefully make a film that, that has has impact that's desperately needed right now. I think that if you look at the characters of uh, Ron Stallworth and Philip Zimmerman, this thing has always been about for progressive people. It's never been based upon race. It's been progressive people that form collection. I tell my black fans already all the time. There were not enough, there were not enough black rich voters to get Obama in office two years, two terms in a row. We couldn't do it alone. But what we had is that <laughs> those eight years had uh, repercussions, and that's why we have this guy in the White House. It, it was a, a definite, like, hell no the last eight years. But we got rest to vote, and this guy cannot, if you love your children, grandchildren you might not have, or generations further down the line. We, we cannot have this guy for another term. Can't do it. And we got to come together. All the other de devices got to go. We got to come together. We got to be on the side of truth. The good side of history, not the wrong side. Agent Orange is going to be the wrong side of history. That's being written already. All right, I'm going to interject to ask you a question. <laughs> but it's what's great, I mean, I want to talk politics, but um, what's, 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 what's the It's a natural your, segue, but sir. The, what's the, what's the lovely young lady that just won an election in, in New York? Um, Sorry, Cassia, right? Cassia, I can't yeah. pronounce her name, but um, Alexandra Cassia, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping that I'm hoping that uh, you know her, her election and several other people who are who are actually going up. And well, next, here's the thing, though, it's, it's some, but a lot of stuff is happening on the local level. Yeah, and that, yes. That it's the local level that groundswell getting the, is getting the, the young people energized. So everything just can't be about presidential. That's why the midterm is so important, and mm -hmm. and and so. People are, are there's, there's a movement. I feel it. I feel it. And I, I'm not going to be one of these old guys saying the young people ain't doing nothing. Young people no, energize. Exactly. Absolutely. They're on Absolutely. it. You know, they feel connected. They, they, they know their voice is important. So I feel good about that. I feel good about this younger generation. You know, I think so often we uh, just slap them. They know what they're doing, this and that, and they're on the phones all the time. But they're, they're <laughs> as they say, they're woke. Well, they're getting inspired. I mean, it's the inverse of what happened with Obama. They're getting inspired by the oppression and everything that, that's happening, the, the virulentness that's, that's happening with Agent Orange. Um, and, hey, you know, there's always hope. I but. think, but I think also I think that we got complacent for the last eight years. Mm -hmm. We thought that two, like two in those eight years. That he was gonna yeah, I mean, his eight his two terms eight years that he was gonna be there forever. And we weren't like preparing for like what we do now when he leaves. And the Republicans they they were they had a better game plan. And they had the Russians too, but <laughs> And Facebook. That's like if you that's like we're in L.A. 
when the Lakers would go to Boston, <laughs> I'm talking about Larry Bird, that team. Impressive when you magic. go to NBA Finals, you know you're not getting any calls in Boston Garden. So you know that going in. You got to beat them and the refs. So that's what it is. That's what you got to do. And that's what they did. They told me that Jabbar, Madge, they knew what the refs were going to do. You can't get no calls on Boston Garden. <laughs> Same thing with this. Passing me. Oh, shoot. Ball went over here. Um, let's get back to the movie. Let's talk, let's, let's talk about cinema, in particular this, this picture. Um, so I read that, I just read the, Ch the Time article, you know, and when you were thinking about doing this picture, you immediately called John David. So, um, I mean, like... John David Washington, who played Ron Bromagill. Ron Stallward, I mean, John, I... Tell that story. John David's first film was Malcolm X. He's one of those kids at the end that says, my name is, my name is Malcolm X. And I've seen him in a couple episodes of Ballers. I known, I always tell him I knew him before he was born. And he was a star running back at Morehouse College. Anybody from Morehouse here today? Nobody? Anyway, <laughs> star running back at Morehouse College. And I just knew when I get when uh when I think when the deal was done with the Jordan, I just knew that uh in my heart, in my soul, my instinct that he could play the part. I told, I told him, I said, I saw him recently at the school days thing when we were at school days. I, yeah. I said, I remember when he was running around in um, Coney Island and y'all was shooting. He got game. I came and visited. I said, dude, it's like, congratulations. Like, and um, he's yeah, he phenomenal. Had, he's he phenomenal. didn't have to audition. Didn't have to read. Didn't have to put himself on tape. I said, I sent him uh, Ron Stowers' book. I said, let's go. That was it. So you sent them the source material before the script. You sent them, you sent them the source material before the script. You sent them the yeah, book. Yeah, I was still working on the script, but uh -huh. I wanted. I don't want to. I want to get him before we take another job. In fact, he was shooting a film in Cincinnati when I sent the script. And the thing about cliches, cliches are based on truths, and the cliche. The fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. That's not a that's not a cliche. John David, something in the DNA, his upbringing, not just Denzel, can't of his mom's Pauletta Washington, good uh, Pauletta, but he's a a born actor, and you saw what he did. I mean, he did his thing. And Denzel, you know, Denzel wasn't around. Denzel did not give him this part. He got himself. He got himself. So we were very, 
a lot of this stuff that happened on this film, it really, this film really worked on the spiritual. I want to end it like this, please. I've been a firm believer that there's very few things that happen in life by mistake. The spirits, the ancestors, all these things are with us. And as I mentioned before, Jordan Peele did not have to call me. And if you listen, the end credits to this song is by Prince singing. Come on, give it up for our brother. With this ending, I knew I need a great song. Because that'll be the first thing you hear after the coda. Really silence because we have no sound for the the two portraits of uh, Heather and then the the flag, American flag, red and white, red, white, and blue turn into uh, black and white. It's complete silence. So then, then the credits start. I know I need a song. So I went to my man, Troy Carter. My man's Troy Carter, who's a uh, one of the advisors on the Prince Estate. I said, I know you got something. <laughs> so he flew to New York and saw an early cut of the film. He said, Spike, I got the song. And the song is what you hear. is This Prince singing piano, nobody else. It was recorded onto, recorded onto a cassette in 1983. Since, since our brother passed, it's been the job of the state to curate all this music. They gathered 10,000 cassettes. And this cassette pops out. That was Prince wanted us to have this song. To have Prince singing the Negro spiritual. Mary, don't you weep. It's perfect. Negro spirits is what kept our ancestors going. We had to work for Kansas City morning, Kansas City night, and it was cotton, tobacco fields, wherever. It was the music that kept us going, which evolved into blues, into R&B, into rock and roll, all that. So to have this song of healing come out of nowhere, I said, my brother want me to have this song. And there's a whole lot of other things which I won't go into, but... You know, when you make it, John, you know this. It's as good as anybody else. Making a movie is hard as a motherfucker. Truly. Even to make a bad movie. <laughs> to make a horrible movie is not easy. That shit is hard. So making a movie is hard. How hard is it going to be to make something that, you know, people respond to? But no director goes into a film, a good director want to make a bad film. And so many things have to line up that are out of your control. The stars have to line. Do you have money for commercials or whatever and all types? Of, what, was, what was the weather when your film got released? There's a couple of films, Snowstorm Hit, that was it. 
Netflix, you know, Netflix, straight to Netflix. <laughs> and it's not that, that that ain't funny if it happened to you, because you put you put blood, sweat, and tears in this. And I've been making films for thirty years, and, and it's never like there was one that I wasn't didn't work hard on. I bust every film, but you're not necessarily going to get the same result. Everything has to line up. And you just try to do your best, roll the dice, and hope to pray God, you know, that things, the people respond. Because I've done several films where people love them now, but when they came out, no one was feeling them. The Amsterdam News, woman's name is Abiana Sinclair. Her review of School Days, she said, Spike Lee set back black people back 40 years. No one saw Bamboozle when it came out. No one saw 25th Hour. Uh, but the great thing about Black Klansman is that people are going, I've been reading articles where people are going back and reviewing, revisiting these films they might have missed for whatever reason. So that's, that's been good where people have been going back to look at the body of work. And that's the only thing I've ever wanted to do as a filmmaker to build a body of work and tell stories. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you, John Singleton, my brother. Quick story. She's going to have it. I was out here for She's Gonna Have It. The first day open in L.A. In August. 32 years ago. August, uh, what was it? Uh, ooh, 1986. 86. And he came up to me. What would you say? I was outside the theater. What was I doing? He was passing out buttons. Passing out. She's having and, buttons. And buttons and little things with Monica. Um, and um, he was promoting the movie, The Four Star Theater in Santa Monica. I went there a week before to see Kurosawa's Ron. I saw the trailer to She's Gotta Have It with a man sending out, t- taking out... Tube, tube socks on oh, screen. Socks. And I said, I gotta come, I gotta come and be here. And go see this movie. And he's right in front of the theater, like talking to folks. I told him. Yeah, tell us, tell him what you said. I said, I'm going to film school at USC in two weeks. Watch out for me. True story. Thank you. Good night. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.